In the Upanishads, the idea of primary cause and secondary cause are introduced. The example in this really dry video I'm learning it from is that roti bread, water, flour, must be cooked in a skillet over a fire. The fire is the primary cause, but works in tandem with the secondary cause, the skillet. We are the roti bread when it comes to the universe tm. Greater than for any goal, primary and secondary causes are both necessary. Spiritual knowledge is the primary cause for enlightenment because it can remove the veil of ignorance and reveal the divinity within. But yoga is the secondary cause. So, without yoga, enlightenment is impossible. Greater than. Greater than Swami Tadatmananda on Kundalini Yoga. I don't personally agree with the idea that yoga, the exercise type, is 100% required to be enlightened. I believe simply deciding to move so that the energy flows through you is a requirement. Cellular functions must be at their peak in order to fuel the brain the appropriate amount to really continue to observe enlightenment. Greater than there are numerous kinds of yogic practices, including karmic yoga, selfless service, raja yoga, meditation, bhakti yoga, devotion, hatha yoga, postures and breathing, and kundalini yoga. Pilgrimage, traveling to a sacred place to be blessed by the deity residing there such as a dedicated temple. This can be an internal pilgrimage, for there are sacred places within the body to be visited periodically during pursuit of enlightenment, one imagines sacred objects or beings as part of their internal mechanisms in order to accept the divinity within. Greater than. Greater than paraphrased from the same video. Approximately 2300 hours. He never says what kundalini yoga is for. However, I ask the gods myself and posit it is for awakening. And so is this YouTube video. Awakening is easier said than done. This affirmation sequence is very near and dear to me. Anyone who hears this, no matter who they are, no matter how much they're ignoring it, goes quiet around the five-minute mark. They begin to listen, to listen to the wisdom pouring out of Kenneth Soares. God's hands created this medium through him. It is the only reason I am alive. I will say that a lot because at different points in my life, I chose a new reason to live. My guardian angel slash support cat, Bill. This affirmations video. Certain friends at certain times. No singular thing is responsible for my life, but at certain points in my timeline, I can point to a singular thing that helped me stay alive. I suffered from abandonment issues from birth. I was born to parents who didn't want me. I was never a child often smiled at. I was never reassured appropriately, in fact the opposite as I grew old, nobody would comfort me when I cried. It was too much work. God didn't see it that way, thankfully. Thank you, God. I've suffered from maltreatment that resulted in me ignoring all the symptoms of having a not-so-rare dairy allergy. I was taught to ignore the warning signs, such as a cough or tickle in the back of my throat, tingling in my mouth, mucus production rising exponentially and quickly, tummy rumbling, and last but not least, chronic diarrhea and or constipation. I have half a mind that all mysterious irritable bowel syndrome items are a facet of food allergy and consuming said food on a regular enough basis that the person doing it is unaware of their allergy. If this sounds like you, you should eliminate gluten and dairy for six weeks and try them again after that. Take note of how you feel, take note of how your bowel movements change, take note of everything you can. You just might save your own life. This alone caused me to be severely depressed and living life as a borderline personality. That is, until I eliminated my many allergens from my diet. I have wanted to die so many times. 
I almost died at least seven times over the course of my life. And here I am, renewing myself one baby step at a time. I identify with a mythological creature known as the Phoenix. I turn to dust. I become ash. And then, someday, for reasons unknown TM, I rise from the ashes and become fierce once more. I feel as if I die every few years. Maybe I do, psychologically speaking. Maybe it's because every man I've ever married, dated, ate dairy and I ended up eating more of it too. Sour cream, cheese shreds, cream cheese. The works. When I was just a young teen, I tried my one and only true suicide attempt. I was thwarted as I cried the ugly cry. You know the one. Snot streaming everywhere, barely able to see. Out of my mind. I went to break open a disposable razor and hoped to hell it could cut deeply enough. If I was more sane in that moment, I would have taken a box cutter into the bathroom or even a knife. The gods stopped me. Suddenly, my tears dried up. Suddenly, I felt like I espoused a light of some kind. I had to protect it, they told me. I had to nourish it, they told me. And sometimes, it threatened to go out. That's when I was ash. So I'd scale back, I'd withdraw into myself, the only person I can rely on, as it were, and put things right again internally so I could try again to find myself a mate. Incidentally, this also meant eating more vegetables and less dairy. Finding a mate is a lifelong endeavor that is still not coming to fruition. The gods, they are seeking someone for me. There are two possible candidates. One is a Shiva and one is a Ganesh. Since I am a Lakshmi, this isn't quite ideal. I need a Vishnu. These are psychological archetypes, by the way. I'm pretty sure that's the point of all polytheistic belief systems. But also, they are real to me, it's just that they do not have bodies. They merely groom human beings to be like them. Thank you, O oh wise ones, for aiding me. If we listen hard enough in our hearts, we hear the one we are attuned to. The archetype that is us. I wasn't always a Lakshmi, maybe that's the problem. I was born a Parvati. As you may well already know, there is a very big difference between these two women. Maybe you know neither. Lakshmi is Vishnu's, Buddha's, ever loyal wife. Lakshmi is reborn with every incarnation of Vishnu and they seek each other perpetually on this plane of existence. She is goddess of wealth, fortune, power, beauty, fertility and prosperity. Although she is not the goddess of devotion, she does espouse devotion for Lord Vishnu. Parvati is Shiva's wife. She is goddess of power, energy, nourishment, harmony, love, beauty, devotion and motherhood. At least, this is what the Wikipedia indicates. I tried to verify with an Indian lad that these were good articles, like I verified the Hungarian food articles are indeed spot on, but Tong is more a spiritualist without any religion at all and didn't want to commit to verification of the articles. Much love, Tong. I hope you're doing well these days. I miss you, kiddo. Unfortunately, I was spoiled by a Kali during my puberty phase, the most vulnerable time in a child's life. Kali is goddess of ultimate power, time, destruction and change. I do not know how a woman who wears a necklace of 50 human skulls can be considered good. I read this, but we reject it, the gods and I. I apologize if I offend anyone who worships her as a positive influence. The gods informed me that Lakshmi is the ultimate manifestation of Shakti, but I confess I have no opinions. I merely regurgitate what I hear out of the cosmos. I mean you no harm. The one thing I think I know about Hinduism is this, Shakti is the wife of the void. 
The void is Shiva or Vishnu, depending on what idiotic reinterpretation white folk are given due to a true lack of understanding of the Upanishads. No translations are perfect, it would seem, which makes us all sad. Crystal, specifically, wants to know all the tales of Hinduism and subsex and everything so that she might hear the truth in the story for herself. There is no officially great source that she knows of. If you, dear reader, know of a good source in English, for she is a limited being and only fully understands English readily, we would be eternally grateful for a recommendation we can trust. In fact, if someone can help by sending translations, we would be more than happy to create an animated storybook to communicate the stories in the Upanishads to the ignorant white people of the world. Just a thought. I was altered by nurture for my true nature. To the gods, this is a form of murder. My soul was murdered in order for another soul to override everything. Most of us are soul murdered, these days. It is the seed of unrest in our very existence. That is what a demon is, a person who destroys our nature with their nurturing, whether they intend it or not. Whether they are kind or not. To destroy someone like this is to murder them. The gods will not be lenient when you die. You will be judged accordingly. You will be held accountable. Likely, you will never be reborn again for straying so far off the path of righteousness. I hope I am never born again, life is pain. It is all I know. I have been murdered 118 times in my life. I don't even know who I am anymore, thanks to that. Lakshmi holds me as I cry over it. Thank you, Lakshmi, for the solace you offer. In fact, she told me I am a Lakshmi a long time ago. I am divine. I am a goddess. I was in training, but now I need no more training. I need action perseverance. And my future husband. I suppose that's why she calls me that. Because I need him. It's no longer optional. It's a requirement. Or so I feel in this moment. Who knows? Perhaps with more therapy, I will progress beyond this point. I will stand on my own two feet and roar into the void TM and challenge the universe itself. Highly sensitive person plus childhood trauma. Defining God. Dash who I am. I haven't wondered who I am since I was a teenager. I just keep putting one foot in front of the other, never looking back. Now, in this world of constant technology and distraction, there is never a reason to sit in the dark in silence and reflect on myself. There is never a reason to ask myself what went wrong, why do I feel this way? What could I do better? How could I be a better person tomorrow? What should I have done today and can I do it tomorrow instead? What mistakes have I made that I can go back and do it again to make it right? With all the constant noise in my head, regardless of there being a television or radio on or not, it's hard to define who I am. I do know what I am not, and that has proven invaluable in narrowing it down. Yet, it's difficult, for I've been soul murdered 119 times. Not every murder is a human being's fault, but many of them are. What is soul murder? Excellent question. Sit down and shut up and I'll tell you when I get to it. Soul murder is when you decide you are not supposed to grow one way and are instead forced to grow another. Like a bonsai gardener cutting you off from your true potential, and yes, they're murderers for doing that to plants, you can face Shiva if you disagree and I don't envy you other than he's a handsome fellow himself, a human being sniffs away this habit or that desire or subverts you long enough you believe it's actually you instead of the murderer contorting you into something you're truly not. In other words, it's forced etiquette. It's creating social rules around harmless things that hurt people who do the harmless things. 
All because someone is jealous that another can behave unfettered with the doom and gloom caused by the impending end of the world, despite that individual also taking the end of the world seriously and doing whatever she can to prevent it. The world ended years ago, we just haven't realized it yet, honestly. Does it really hurt you if a person chews with their mouth open, or are you just a heinous bitch in your heart? Does it really hurt you if a person eats with their hands instead of a fork and knife, or are you a judgmental asshole in your heart? Now, both of these things are better for a person to do because it means fewer germs entering the gullet, but it's their choice, not yours. Look away if you don't like what you see. If you really despise it, stop associating with them. But don't chastise them and try to make them just like you. If you exile someone long enough, their loneliness will make them more observant and they can groom themselves how they see fit. They can teach themselves etiquette. You can suggest it but never demand it. This is how the world is meant to be, associate with the people who are like yourself naturally. Others will step up to plate. That's an American baseball term, if you are having difficulty with it. I suppose in cricket, it'd be like whatever starts the match happening. I'm not familiar with cricket enough to know all the ins and outs, and, incidentally, neither am I so well versed in baseball. We form tribes based on like qualities. We use visual cues instead of a more psychological and purposeful approach where we identify with people like ourselves on the inside. I discovered I am much more like the Hindus than a white woman when I worked at a job where nearly all my co-workers were from India, Pakistan, Nepal, and Bangladesh. Even though they are distinctly different peoples with different religions, including Muslims and Hindus and even atheists, I believe, they all share a bunch of values that are not inherent to the Western world. They believe in true love, for one thing. I was ever so fortunate to attend a Hindu wedding. It was between someone who was part of the strictest Hindu caste and of course someone of a less strict Hindu caste. I learned then that the wife, who was the less strict one, would have to wear longer saris, nine yards, for the rest of her life just by choosing to marry her husband, who was my co-worker. In fact, even though the wedding was in another language, I watched so avidly that anyone who took note of me watching, even the priest, explained the rituals to me. I was so grateful. I arrived at the auspicious time mentioned on the invitation and then stayed for the entire wedding, which took five hours or more to complete. In fact, they feed you several times during the course of the wedding, which surprised me. This particular wedding was completely vegan, which I thought was clever in that it would save loads of money in addition to the actual reason, that the bridegroom and bride were vegan. Here's what I remember, and I'm sure it is out of order and I'm missing parts because not everyone was kind enough to explain every part. 1. There are purification rituals in white garments. The man is in some sort of white ceremonial garb that he adds or changes out of later. 2. There is a section of the ceremony where the man runs away from the woman because he is afraid to commit. I even remember some shoes being thrown during this. 3. Nobody wore any shoes inside the temple, so the shoe throwing was much more vivid. 4. The bride was wearing red. In Asia and many parts of the world, white is a color of mourning. Each and every color signifies something, which differs between cultures and religious belief systems. China also prefers red-garbed brides because red is an auspicious color. She had on a sari which was quite beautiful, and, in fact, she was a vision of beauty. I was very happy for my co-worker and his new bride, overall, but she was very insecure about me because her husband forgot to tell her that he invited some female co-workers out of respect for senior team members. 
I did my best to reassure her that I was not interested in her husband and I wonder if they're struggling because he does not reassure her enough. 5. The priest wore white. I have no idea if this is a tradition or not, but it stood out because to my American eyes, usually the bride wears white. He was a very nice fellow and actually explained the shoe throwing to me. 6. The guests take part in the ceremony during various portions of it and it moves around the holy temple constantly. 7. There are fires and incense and other things as part of the ceremony, even indoors. 8. There were drapes hanging to decorate the temple for the wedding. I've seen this, too, in The New Girl. This wedding was not nearly as decadent as the one in that show, but it was still beautiful. 9. Only white people wear suits. The styles of India are very different from our own. 10. Nobody cares if they outshine the bride. Everyone wears their Sunday best and puts on their best face and tries to be epically beautiful. Or so it seemed, their clothes were very refined, including long veils of gauzy material to go with their traditional garments. 11. There were necklaces of flowers bestowed to the married couple. 12. They gave Indian baked foods out in exchange for gifts and attendance. The only difference between someone with a gift and without was how much they took home. I couldn't eat a bit of it because I didn't know if it had gluten or not. 13. The food was catered in huge heavy aluminum foil pans, sitting over candle flame to stay hot. There were probably eight different trays of food to select from. I tried a little bit of everything, but I had allergies I didn't know about, so I was staying away from everything I could. I probably made my co-workers think I'm anorexic at some point since I ate very little in front of them in general. Everyone in attendance lent a hand to make sure serving food went smoothly and I definitely remember everyone encouraging me to eat as much as I wanted to. Attendance was low because of COVID, as I recall. In fact, it wasn't even supposed to take place in America, but they were using a laptop to video the whole event and share with their family that was abroad. 14. Unlike other wedding events, everyone assumed my date was my husband or future husband and wanted to know all about him at work after that. I was embarrassed because, well, the dude's a rapist and I was trying to get away from him, unsuccessfully. 15. It's considered rude to be late and almost nobody showed up until the ceremony was half finished. I'm sure there was much more to this wedding, including vows being exchanged, but again I'm a simple monolingual American. I merely watched and tried to absorb the essence and beauty of their union out of reverence and respect. I can't say that event didn't change me. It was a pivotal turning point in my life. Why? Why, indeed? Because it showed me how far I'd strayed off the beaten path. I'd wanted to marry said rapist once upon a time, when I had Stockholm Syndrome and still thought he was amazing. Eventually, that wears off, when one pays enough attention to one's captor. I realized there was a whole world that was very much not anything like typical America where I felt more at home. I felt more at ease. I wasn't exactly like them, but I do believe in true love and that it is my responsibility to respect all unions. 4. To disrupt a union, is to beg for another to do the same to my own union. Too bad other women in America don't believe this same doctrine. Every man I've been with has cheated on me. All of them, without fail. After they'd made me contort and put a straitjacket on me to control me how they saw fit, when they murdered me, they discarded me for another one to murder. They repeat this action again and again, expecting a new result, which, as my ex-husband once proudly crowed at me, to repeat the same experiment time and again expecting something new to happen, once the pattern had been empirically proven, that is, is insanity. 
Dash. One might wonder what true love TM has to do with Kundalini and the Kundalini awakening event. I don't, anymore, and I am loath to explain it to you. Yet it is my duty. My burden. I must warn you. I must warn all humanity. I must tell you what the Holy Bible tried to impart upon us all this time, and it has nothing to do with worshipping an invisible sky daddy. It has everything to do with trying to maintain our grace, to try to keep us from soul-murdering each other all over the place. In order to adequately explain everything, I must first give you a lesson in life force energy, also known as chi chi prana ki god light, power, life substance, unifying force, shakti, life energy, breath, divine energy, primordial energy, cosmic energy, or just plain energy tm. Greater than life is all about. Greater than. Greater than one. Conserving chi. Greater than two. Balancing chi. Greater than three. Transforming chi. Greater than four. Increasing chi. Greater than five. Expanding chi. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than. Greater than source, intro to chi energy, udemy. Love is a form of energy. All emotions are, actually. And, our emotions and thoughts create energy ripples that affect other creatures all around us, mentally near and physically near. To experience emotions is to rob our bodies of the life force needed to function properly if we never resolve those emotions. Those of us ignoring our emotional states are doing ourselves great disservice, there is no way to find peace without addressing these states of being and correcting ourselves. If you want to feel your chi activate, try this lovely video and explanation on YouTube. We deplete our energy in the West. We ignore everything that makes us feel terrible on the inside, diving into video game after video game, movie after movie, book after book. Admittedly, books are the least heinous here because you can pause and reflect as thoughts come, the whole idea is to empty our brains of everything we might worry about without actually improving our lives so there is nothing to worry about. Worry is a depletion action. Anxiety is depletion. Depression is depletion, and may well just be how we feel when we are being depleted constantly or failing to refuel ourselves appropriately. We put the same garbage into our heads on a daily basis, ignoring our inner selves telling us what is right for us, what is necessary, and how to proceed in life while honoring the soul we were born with. Every human being has a soul. It sits between the eyes around where the amygdala is located. Someone who has become accustomed to detecting chi in others will be able to see the energy, like when you watch static electricity at night, flashing blue on your favorite blanket because the humidity has been sapped by the forest heat. It is that real, that visceral, although it usually is devoid of coloration, for me, anyway, anyone who professes to see auras and colorations of those auras is observing your chi express itself. You can literally see the emotions of an individual, if not their feelings, as well. Once you attune yourself to the point that you can start visualizing and or perceiving these bioelectric expressions around a being, you will be able to avoid beings who will do nothing but drag you down. It is their own job to cease being a black hole and grow into a being that wishes to be cooperative, useful, and helpful to the collective consciousness of the universe TM. Exile is the only way to force them to think through their actions or lack thereof. Unfortunately, there are still beings that, despite great loneliness of their own doing, never learn who they are and why it's not serving the greater good TM. I dated one, in fact the very one who ended up at that Indian wedding. He changed due to that wedding, I'd presume, except he never said so to me if it's true. 
I like to see the best in people and give them the benefit of the doubt, but he'd proven time and again that he was not suitable to place my hopes and dreams inside of. He was not going to be my spouse, no matter how long I spent at his side. He was a black hole that only cared about his own fantasies of orgies and group sex, trampling all over my soul and trying to murder my monogamous streak in order to join him. Methinks his ego decided he was the only good-looking one out of the two of us. Boy, was he wrong. I lost a bunch of weight and suddenly men were popping out of the woodwork, looking at me appreciatively. His instinct to control me kicked into high gear and became exhausting. For me, at least. His fear, his lack of love, and his aptitude for fornication combined to be my antidrug, my poison. It bereaved me from myself. He'd succeeded in one thing only, turning me into a fornicator. Me, a Parvati, turned into a fucking fornicator. A woman of harmony, love, and devotion to one individual stopped caring for the individual outside of herself. To be fair, there are two of me. I am multiple people. There might even be more than two of me. There's a public self and a private self, which you might find normal in your world, but do yourselves speak out loud to each other with your own mouth and one of you has no idea what the other is going to say. I thought not. The selfie damaged beyond repair went into the background and my other self was coaxed out of her shell. She felt safe amongst the Hindus, the Muslims, the Asians she'd come to work alongside with and feel at home with. She felt so safe, we eliminated all pretenders from our friends lists and focused on the last remaining instances of love residing within our soul. Love was the only reason to exist. And she was well loved amongst those folks, both romantically and platonically, for she gave them all unconditional motherly love. That is the final aspect of Parvati knew she had before the Parvati in me died. Just so you don't have to jump up to read it again, white folks, Parvati is the goddess of power, energy, nourishment, harmony, love, beauty, devotion, and motherhood. Supposedly, she is also Durga and Kali, but one thing I do think is true of the Hindu belief system is this, there are many faces of the same divine energy, but it does not mean that each face is not separate, such as reincarnations are similar but separate between lifetimes. Although Kali might be a reincarnation of Parvati, it is likely Kali had no prior knowledge of her life as Parvati. Therefore, it is not Parvati the second, it is a new entity that was once Parvati. Parvati is Shiva's wife. Shiva is known as the destroyer, so it makes sense that at some point, Kali, the woman with fifty human skulls as a necklace, might come into existence. Once Parvati was soul murdered, anyway. Dash. Vanity is the death of humanity. Dash. Vanity is the reason my ex-husband used to justify his maltreatment of my person. I was not skinny enough to be considered beautiful or worthy or even worthwhile and, yet, he spent day in and day out putting me flat on my back for his own devices. He held me at arm's length, proclaiming, I don't know if I want to be with you. I told him to seek therapy and his story became, I think I need to sleep with other people. Only a foolish and naive white man would look at the perfect bride and say she is not enough, he must partake in orgies and that is the only way he could be satisfied. The foolish man could not even keep the bride. She pitied him at first, developed a trauma bond next, then Stockholm Syndrome, then he soul murdered her, then she got away, then he pined for her while telling everyone and their brother how awful she was, despite the fact he did not deserve a bride from the get-go, being a narcissistic cannibal that only cared about feeding his loins and his ego rather than his fucking heart. Fuck you, Benjamin Andrew Carter, for caring more about how many people you fucked in this lifetime than the heart of a tender soul. 
P.S. You raped that woman in New Orleans and you know it. Everyone you've been with has probably experienced you raping them because you have no idea what making love is like whatsoever. You rape yourself two to three times a day, masturbating hard like some little monkey, when in reality if you were really in a state of desire, you'd seek to sense yourself to the finish line rather than forcing it upon yourself because all you understand is rapid and repetitive movements make the body orgasm against its will. That's rape you dick fiend. I got skinny near the end, nearly killing myself. I nearly destroyed everything that I am to chase some white man's version of the perfect femme fatale. That's why no man ever looked at me except a few nice black fellows. I should have dated each and every one of them, they're far more likely to be a gentleman in their thoughts than a stupid white boy who sits behind a computer screen every hour of the day, including his phone screen, either working a white-collar job or playing a fucking video game. Apparently, he couldn't see how he could extrapolate that interacting with human beings is exactly like a video game. You didn't either? That's okay. I'm autistic, it probably just occurred to me naturally. I will explain, but I warn you that there is one rule you should adhere to no matter what. Do no harm. If you fuck up, and you will, ask the person you hurt what you can do to make it better. And if you use this knowledge to rape women, men, and children, I warn you now that your ultimate destruction awaits you when your vessel expires this lifetime. You will no longer exist. Your soul will be eaten by none other than an entity called Ms. Galaxy. That is the name she gave me, and it's unlikely it is her only name. She could be Kali, for all I know. She could be some other pantheon's goddess of destruction and life for all I know. She could even be the feminine aspect of Shiva. It doesn't matter, the warning stands, do no harm or you will be destroyed forevermore. Dash. Playing the video game called Life, Part 1. I watched my brothers play video games a lot as a kid. There weren't enough resources and my younger snot-nosed brat brother could usurp command of the Sega Genesis with a mere whimper, for I was chopped liver in this household and I could be subdued much more easily than that little bitch. I noticed a few things while watching him play video games, bored out of my skull because I couldn't read yet and there was only one television for us to share. Sharing is such a 90s thing, Amirite? There are rules for every game. To master the game, one must master the rules. The rules are far more important than your reflexes most of the time. Video gaming taught me one thing that I found helpful beyond the fact that everything operates according to rules, it taught me to steady myself during an adrenaline rush. This is an important skill that all of humanity could use, if you ask me, so note it next time you're fighting a boss and your heart rate goes up high and you are jumping around with your controller, okay, maybe it's just me, and then you lose because the adrenaline had you too excited for action again and again and again. Then, once you've all but given up and you resign yourself to history repeating, you find yourself taking a deep breath at the beginning of that adrenaline rush, dispassionately trying to slay the enemy in the game, and beyond all odds you gave yourself. This is the time you win. This skill is beneficial in the real world, my friends, and infinitely important when I tell you how to play life like it's a video game. So, read it again if you've got to, remember and reflect on the last video game you played like that. Maybe it wasn't a boss monster and you were trying to solve equations and fractions in mere moments rather than having a bunch of time to enter an answer. Maybe the Tetris or column shapes were coming so fast you could hardly process what was happening and you freaked out. Maybe you had your longest streak in Bejeweled and you were panicking because you were about to hit the jackpot in points, besting yourself with an all-time awesomely high score. Okay that one doesn't really get adrenaline pumping, does it? 
Oh well. You get the idea. The formula for creating the adrenaline rush is this, allow the user time to adapt to a pattern, tempo, and cadence. Allow them to practice their skills for a while. Then, put them to the test well before they'd ever feel ready so they have to practice and redo it again and again just to proceed. This is character building, to be honest, and nobody really truly wants to do it anymore, so video games this challenging tend to drift into obscurity, but I'm telling you that side-scrolling platformers really challenged your mastery of the rules rather quickly. And, although having to start over from time to time, running out of lives, it forces you to practice the foundation of the rules, like timing a jump onto a Goomba's head so you don't die. It's really beneficial to someone who has a learning disability, but also incredibly frustrating. I can't remember how many times I'd retry a jump and, due to slow impulse between brain and body, miscalculate the timing and end up ruining the jump, falling to my doom. I'm pretty sure I threw a few controllers in my lifetime and I absolutely smashed a keyboard against my desk once playing Maple. Story. Alright, I put you through enough. I'm ready to tell you, because all that stuff above about frustration and endlessly redoing it, it applies. You're going to get frustrated and have to redo a lot of things to get it right, but it's worth it. The truth of the matter is, we're all minorly telepathic. Humanity has a tiny little thread connecting each and every living being, not just human beings, together. We can connect to plants, animals, each other, Gaia, Sol, and so many more beings than we can even imagine. They have to want to connect back, of course. It's not like you can hail the gods and suddenly they'll regard you. In fact, don't do that, they'll piss and shit on your grave for bothering them. They have important duties, you know. Why they like me, I'll never know, but they said it's because I didn't beg them to save me while I was dying. I didn't blame them for it. I didn't consult them for much of anything in my life, I simply believed in magic and did my best to emulate the kind of person all the holy scriptures suggest you try to be, despite being irreligious. I guess that's a reason but they also lie to me to force me to rely on myself instead of them now that I'm almost well again. What, did you think I was going to give you the keys to the universe without instructions? I believe there is one more reason they like me. I'm telling you because if you do that which will grow you spiritually and telepathically for yourself, you will begin to hear them, and they will drive you to kill yourself. They will soul murder you for being a soul murderer that has zero remorse and does not even attempt recompense. You have been warned. This is treacherous if you do not put your ego into a suitcase and leave it by the door. They like me because I do not hate anyone or anything. I focus on the feelings of love, happiness, joy, serenity, and the like. If I don't like how I'm being treated, I don't repeat it over and over again, draining all those around me. I state my view and I walk away when I'm not taken seriously. That's most men, by the way, not taking me seriously. Women tend to take me very seriously. I'm guessing the men get confused because they like what they're gazing at and can't imagine that a pretty face can come with an amazing brain to boot. Fuck you, misogynistic pig. The gods. I'm here to tell you how reality works. I have no credentials to back me up other than those given to me by the supreme beings of the universe TM. I do not have white man paperwork to tell you that I am an expert. I have only mountains of empirical evidence from trial and error using the scientific method to the best of my ability. I have lots of informal training in psychology, scientific approaches, scientific discoveries, sociology, and even more psychology. I'm a certified Reiki master of several disciplines, always seeking more and more accolades to put on my wall. But those are for me, not you.
Rules to Reality 1. What you see, feel, hear, taste, and sense are real, even if no one can agree with you to validate you. 2. What you give is what you get. That's it for right now. You're just going to have to read this whole blog to understand all the rules of reality, telepathy, scientific observations I've made, psychological origins of many ideas, and much, much more. I'm not going to make it easy because I'm the master and you are the student, young grasshopper. Internalize these two rules. Live by them. Start chronicling your journey, privately or publicly. Write down what you see, feel, hear, taste, and sense. Write down how you feel about it and why. It will aid you in coming to balance, zeroing out the emotional scale, which is the first step to obtaining godhood. Enlightenment. Good luck, young Padawan. I'll be watching over you from the void TM. Dash. The gods took pity on me as I died, wordlessly trying to turn my ship around and save myself once I figured that much out. Their voices were soft at first, below my subconscious psyche, insisting I try this or that to alleviate my pain and seek retribution. It was only after I received the standard Kundalini attunement, the first three in a series of nine, that I began to hear them as clearly as I can hear myself thinking. In fact, they began to control my body for me, starting off slowly until we established a basis of trust. I was spontaneously doing yoga, which I'd never done before in my life, finding myself in extended child pose frequently to combat my lifestyle of sitting in front of a computer screen for work. In fact, they threw my job away to force me to get better rather than continue to limp along mentally in a state of disarray caused by malnutrition and starvation. I had lost my muchness thanks to the soul murderers who talked me into murdering myself. I hereby hold myself responsible for the murder of my soul. I pray for absolution. I pray for resurrection. I pray for love and understanding. Thank you for a second chance. Thank you for bringing me back from the precipice of self-destruction. I am but a child, following the lead of those who pretended they were more than children, and they asked me to jump off a cliff. I was ready to give my life for foolish vanity because I had lost faith in being able to obtain true love tm. It's all I ever really wanted in my entire lifetime and one white man after another talked me out of it. And then they talked me out of many brown men all by themselves, telepathically, in the back of my mind. I mourn all the love I have lost out on due to their childish fears. Especially Sandesh, the Nepalese man who proposed to me. A Nepalese man who is beautiful inside and out who loved me despite knowing nothing about me, who tried to ask me to tell him all about me in a shy manner. A man who conquered his mountain and slayed the dragon and asked the girl for her hand in marriage. A true mountain dragon man. The white men spat on him, forcing me to tell this man that I would not accept his proposal. They pumped the brakes, telling me to end his misery by telling him I do not accept, telling me his friends would be racist against me, that he would subvert my will rather than respecting me, that he would be just the same as the white men who mistreated me all my life. I know in my heart that is wrong. I was misinformed, thinking I was speaking telepathically to a man I'd fallen in love with, and he was telling me he loved me and wanted to marry me. He does not and did not, he ghosted me once I proposed to him, shutting me out for whatever reason. It does not matter, I had hailed him to help me revive myself and he ignored my plea. Now, I ignore him, thinking about how much he misses me. After 18 months, now he misses me, folks. After I got out of the fire and back into the frying pan, now he misses me. After I repaired half the damage with the aid of the supreme divinity, now he misses me. 
Specifically, he misses talking to me. He knows why we do not speak and yet, he wonders actively why I went missing, why I blocked him, why I disappeared, never to be present in his life again. The gods reject Nicholas Forsyth of Leicestershire, England. Fuck you for ignoring a dying girl proposing to you and begging you to feed her so she could keep her piddly job, the same job we threw away because it was the only reason you even considered the marriage proposal, you dirtbag. We hate you and you will never touch our most precious child, Crystal. The gods reject Eyes McGee, some douchebag that I raped the girl in the middle of Wegmans after getting the prickling sensation on the back of his neck that he was being watched. Again. We gave you three chances, you blew it. Get over it. He's Diego in our creative writing, but not enough of Diego to be worth the trouble of teaching him how to be a proper gentleman. The gods reject Bob the Deli Man. You don't think of Aurora enough to make her happy in the future. That is all. She requires a man who can't get her off his brain, loves only her, and everything he does, he does for her, just like a Brian Adams song. She totally didn't mind your obsession with all things Disney, but we do. It leads you to want to be a dud, sadly. Not all of it is terrible, you should certainly keep up dancing and making out and holding hands and wanting to be the perfect prince for the princess. Just find one you can't get off your mind and marry her. The gods reject a union with Phil the produce guy. You're too innocent for her, Phil. She'd hurt you badly on accident in this post-apocalypse setting we've acquired inside her brain. We are sending you the perfect lady, don't you worry. It is a shame you are only here after that part of her died, we assure you, otherwise you'd be together for the rest of your lives. You are so sweet. Don't change a thing. The gods reject all her former lovers. You are rapists and mongrels, every one of you, dressed up like the real deal in a veneer of civility. We see inside your minds and we find you wanting. You are nasty and vile, spitting venom at women in the form of name-calling and everything that goes with it. We hate you. The gods accept Sir Grey Eyes Deli Man. You are fit for Princess Peach, as you call her. You think about her all the time and she knows it. She tries to talk to you telepathically, but you don't hear it. Eat more vegetables, drink more water, give up grains young man. Then you'd hear her, we think. We'll see you on the other side of telepathy. Anyone who is not heeding the fact that Crystal is monogamous and we all choose Sir Grey Eyes Deli Man, you will be put through trials of fire if you approach her telepathically. We will do our best to kill you. We will at least murder your soul until you are a complacent little lamb, no matter who you think you are. This is your beware of the dog signage. Do take note. Should Sir Grey Eyes Deli Man give up on the lovely lady, there is Mr. Swarthy Deli Man. You guessed it, we're picking a mate who is at least half trained in the art of feeding his woman. Mr. Swarthy is fully trained and we greatly approve of you in general, sir. Our only issue is that you are not thinking about her constantly enough to satisfy us. You are a true gentleman, however, and we respect that in both you and Grey Eyes. There are other potential mates that are suitable, but she also has some physical characteristic preferences that we are adhering to in order to ensure she is the happiest girl on earth after this. Especially since she is Ms. Galaxy, the most powerful spiritual entity Earth has ever known. Killing her vessel will never make her cease to exist. She has gathered up so much chi that she will live until the end of time in the afterlife. She will never be forced to reincarnate, like the rest of you idiots who have to play the game over and over until you learn to do the same. If her mate appears soon, she can teach him how to do it for himself, as well, 
so that they may live as spirit folk in the realm hereafter and be together forever and ever and ever and a day.